Murphy was a pilot who was flying a commuter flight from Lewiston, Maine to Boston on September 3rd, 1987. Anybody remember what they were doing that day? No? Okay. Anyway, the flight was empty. He was was on a return flight, so it was empty except for Henry and his co-pilot. Well, not long into the flight, Henry hears this unusual noise near the end of the plane. Uh, It's a small, you know, commuter craft. So he turns the controls over to his co-pilot, and he goes back to check it out. As he reached the tail section, the plane hit an air pocket, and Dempsey was tossed against the rear door. And that's when he quickly found out the cause of the strange noise. The door had, been, um, uh, had not been properly latched prior to takeoff, and it flew open. He was instantly sucked out of the jet. Now, the co-pilot all of a sudden sees this red light that indicated there was an open door on the plane. He radioed the nearest airport requesting permission for an emergency landing, and, you know, and he reported the pilot had fallen out of the plane and requested a helicopter search of that area of the ocean. Well, he goes ahead, makes his emergency landing, and after they land, the plane landed, they found Henry. They found him holding onto the outdoor ladder of the aircraft. Somehow, he had caught the ladder, held on for 10 minutes as the plane flew 200 miles an hour at an altitude of from between four and 5,000 feet in the air. And then, at landing, he was able to lift his head up to keep it from hitting the runway, which was a mere 12 inches away. It took airport personnel several minutes to pry his hands off of that ladder. He's now known as Hang On Hank. <laughs> so I, I, I read that story. I read that story this week, and that's just what life with COVID has felt like this past two years. We're going along just fine. And then we begin to hear some rumblings of this new virus. Well, we've had viruses before, you know, and and all of that. And the next thing you know, our feet are knocked out from under us, and life as we know it is gone. And we're just trying to grab onto anything we can grab onto and hang onto for dear life with everything we've got. Hasn't it felt like that at times over the past couple of years? I think we're starting to come out of it, but then we're saying we're going back in, so I don't know, but that's what it is. It is not as it was two years ago. But you know, sometimes life is like that. Sometimes we hit a hard season, and we feel like it's all we can do to just hang on to something. Just hang on to something to survive. You know, you're holding on to a hope or you're holding on to a promise. You're holding on to, to you know, just this, this wish that, that, or, uh, that eventually life is going to return to some semblance of normal again. If only you can just hang on a little bit longer. That's when we need the virtue that we're talking about today. And that virtue is perseverance. When you have perseverance, you simply refuse to quit when times get hard. 
You press through, you press on, and you keep going. In Hebrews 10, the writer tells the readers to remember he says, remember earlier days, remember before when the suffering and the persecution hit the church and, you know, saying, saying, bringing that to their mind. And, and it says that they faced it and they stood their ground. You know, they, they, they faced it with faith. They faced it with boldness. They stood their ground. He calls them to remember that. And then he says this in, in Hebrews 10, 35, he says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Now, what's the writer saying here? He's telling them, if you hold on to your confidence, if you don't quit, if you hang on and you stand firm, that confidence will be richly rewarded. You know, the Bible is filled with all kinds of promises from God. Promises that He gives to you and He gives to me. But often, our expectations of how and when those promises are fulfilled differ from what is meant. But a promise is a promise. And we need to keep in mind, when God says something, He means it. When He gives a promise... He means it. And if you persevere in what God says, you will receive what He promised you. It's never a question, never a question of will God keep His word. It's always a question of will we keep going until He does? Or will we quit before the promise is fulfilled? You know, at times I've seen people quit just just short, just this much short of seeing a promise fulfilled in their life. You could just tell everything was being set up and you could, you just, you, you could sense it that it was just about there and then they get tired and they quit and they give up. This morning we're going to look at a story from the Old Testament, a story of where the people of God didn't give up. They continued to do what God told them, even when it had been easy to just throw up their hands and just walk away, because it didn't make sense. So here's our story. Let me set it up. The Israelites had been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years because they had refused to trust in God. Okay, They refused to trust God when he said, go take the land, you can do this. They sent out the spies, 10 spies, 8 of them, or they all came back. Two of them said, yes, we can do this. The other 8 said, no, we can't. And, and you know, so here we are 40 years later. God says, okay, you don't think you can do it? Fine, walk around in the wilderness for 40 years and the next generation will do it. Now Moses had passed. Joshua was their leader. The Israelites crossed the Jordan and went into the promised land. And now they faced their first test. They faced the city of Jericho. Now Jericho is possibly the oldest city on the face of the earth. And I read that it's, it's also the lowest city. It sits 750 feet below sea level. It's had numerous archaeological digs and they say the walls around the city, it was a walled city, with a, uh, and the walls circled around, or, or um, 
in the middle of the walls was a, a circular tower, but the walls around the city, archaeologists say, were four and a half feet wide. This was Israel's first test as they entered the promised land to possess what God had promised to Abraham centuries earlier. Let's read starting in verse 1 of Joshua 6. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. Let's just pause there for a minute. The gates are shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. If you remember, 40 years earlier, the Israelites were afraid to take the land because they said, yeah, it's fruitful just like you said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, you know, loaded with produce. Here's a sample of it. But they said there were giants in the land. It said we look like grasshoppers in their sight. That's, that's what they came back and reported, and the people believed them. But now you look at it, and the reality is the people of the land were actually afraid of the Israelites. They had heard of what the Israelites' God had done, and they were afraid of the Israelites. So when they saw them coming and they heard them coming, they closed up that city as tight as a drum so no one could get in or out. That's what it says next, is that no one was allowed to go out or in, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with a priest blowing the horns. When you hear the priest give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. As I read that, I wonder, what if it had been us who were given those instructions? What if we were the Israelites and we hear those instructions? What would our response have been? Okay, walk around the city and don't say a word. Do that once a day for six days. I mean, I could see, okay, well, let's circle around the city. Let's do some reconnaissance. Let's see their weak spots. Where is, it, where, where is there a weak spot in the wall and, and all of that? But, but, and the, and then, but then, yeah, after, after doing that once, after you figure that out, go and attack. Take the city. But why would we just walk around once in silence not saying a word once a day for six. Why, why, why use up all our energy doing that? It's a waste. I can imagine what was going through their minds. This is crazy. What kind of plan is this? You know, we should be building ladders to scale the walls, or maybe we should be building catapults. I don't even know if they had catapults then. Maybe if they didn't, maybe we should be inventing catapults. I don't know. But I could see that, you know, thinking what they should do. Instead, they're just taking a walk in silence. What possible good could that do? They get their steps in, but, you know, that's about it. But the Israelites didn't question. Maybe they had learned something from 40 years earlier. Maybe they had learned a lesson from 40 years earlier. Anyway, they did just as the Lord said for six days. They didn't quit. They did it for six days, seeing nothing. Now, We'll get back to our story in just a minute. 
But I want to ask a question first. Because I think some of us may have been tempted to just say, this doesn't make sense. I'm out of here. Because they saw nothing for six days. So I want to ask, why do we sometimes give up? Why do we sometimes quit? Why did the Israelites 40 years earlier refuse to go into the promised land that God had promised them? I think a lot of times we quit because our perspective is often limited. We don't see the whole picture. And when we don't see the whole picture, we don't understand the reasons and we can't figure out the how or the why of things. In the book of 2 Kings, there's a story of an Aramean man named Naaman. He was a leper. And he heard that there was a prophet in Israel who could heal him, a prophet of the Lord in Israel that could heal him. So he went to see him. But some of you know the story, you know, rather than, you know, he went to the prophet, and rather than the prophet coming out and you know, waving his hand over him and, and, and uh, uh, praying for healing or pronouncing him healed, he sent a servant out and said, yeah, go tell Naaman, just go dip seven times. Clean yourself in the Jordan River, dip seven times, and then you'll be fine. Naaman was furious at that, but he was convinced by his servants, said, look, if he told you something difficult, you would do it. This is a simple thing. What's it going to hurt You'll just get wet. Just do it. So they convinced him he did it. And, and you know, I, I can see him going to the Jordan, beginning the dip, you know, once, nothing. Second time, nothing. Third time, this is ridiculous. There's nothing happening. Nothing changed. Six times, why am I doing this? There's cleaner rivers at home. I could be washing myself there, and it's not doing any good anyway. Grumble, grumble, grumble one more time. Goes down in the water, comes up again from the water, and as he came up the, second, the seventh time, his skin was clear, free from the leprosy. He was clean. What if he would have quit after the sixth time? The key that Naaman couldn't see is something called complete obedience. See, sometimes our perspective is limited. We just can't see everything. And here's the thing. If we trust the one we're following, if we trust the one that's giving us the instructions, we don't need to see everything because he does. Second thing, sometimes we quit because our progress isn't always obvious. Sometimes we just don't see anything happening. And that's how it is with the Israelites in this story. Let's pick up in verse 10 of Joshua 6. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the army returned to the camp, spent the night there. 
And then skip on to verse 14. So the second day they marched around the city and, and once again returned to the camp. They did this for six days. Six days. Do you see what's going on? You see, just like when Naaman dipped six times with nothing happening until the seventh, they marched around Jericho once a day with an armed guard in front, followed by the priests with their trumpets, followed by the ark, followed by the people walking in silence for six days. And nothing happened. They weren't even allowed to trash talk to the men on the walls. They weren't even to taunt, allowed to taunt or to give them, yeah, just wait, just wait, the time is coming, your time's through. They, weren't, they were just getting their steps in and just walking along in silence. They weren't talking to each other. They weren't trash talking the guys on the wall, anything. You know, just their, their minds, you know, what good is this doing? You know, why don't, why, why, why don't we just attack? This is just giving them time to prepare a defense. What's the point of this? The point was this. The Israelites were given very specific directions, very specific instructions, and I believe God was testing them. I believe that God wanted to see whether after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they were now ready to obey him. Did they trust him enough to do what he told them to do and keep doing it even when it didn't make sense? And that's the question for us this morning. Do we trust God enough to obey even when it doesn't make sense, even when it looks like God isn't doing anything? See, here's what we need to understand. Sometimes it seems like we're waiting and we're waiting for God to do something for us when actually He's first doing something in us. You see, God often does something in you before He does something for you. It's because He's a lot more interested in what's going on in here than out there. See, the circumstances that surround us are temporary, but what's inside, that's what we take into eternity with us. So after the Israelites did everything as the Lord had told them, they marched silently in the city for, for, for six days all around it. And on the seventh day, they marched around the city seven times. And after the seventh time, at Joshua's command, they gave a loud shout. And when they did, those thick walls of the city fell inward, and the Israelites were able to go up and take the city. They obeyed what the Lord told them, even when it didn't look like anything was happening. Then they were able to take hold of what God had promised to them because they persevered. They kept doing what the Lord told them every day. Hebrews 10.36 says, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He promised. Persevere. Don't give up. Now notice, perseverance is not just waiting while you hold on. It's not just holding on until your situation changes. Perseverance is waiting combined with obedience. It's waiting combined with doing what God had said. It's when we keep doing what God has told us to do, even though the change we hope for is not in sight. At least not in our sight. It's in God's sight, but it's not in ours. If we're just waiting, that's not perseverance. 
especially if we have no option not to wait. You know, we can't change the situation, we can't do anything, so we're just stuck there. That's not perseverance. Obedience is the key. We always keep doing what we know to do, the last thing God told us, while we wait and while we trust, that's perseverance. You just keep doing what God has told you to do. The, the, you know, say, well, I don't know. Okay, go back to the last thing you know he told you to do, the last instruction he gave to you. Okay, I got that in mind. Has he told you anything else since then? No. Okay, so keep doing what he's told you to do, the last thing he told you to do. It's not always an easy thing to do. It can be difficult. That's why Paul says in Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good. Let's not get tired. Let's not let it wear us down. Let's, you know, let's not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, not instantly, but at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. There's always a payoff to perseverance eventually if you don't give up. So I want to ask you, what is it that you are praying about? What is it that you are trusting God for? What is it that you are believing God for? What promises of God are you holding on to and waiting for God's fulfillment of those promises? Something he's told you. Don't quit. Don't stop praying. There may be a loved one that you so much want to see coming into the, come the kingdom, give their life to Jesus, and they may seem so far away. Your prayers are not ineffective. Keep praying. Don't let up. Keep believing, keep trusting, keep doing what you know to do. You will see the harvest if you don't give up. We are going to uh, take communion at this point. If you do not have uh, the communion uh, cups, if you didn't pick one up on the way in, could you just raise your hand high and uh, someone will get them. Yeah, Pete needs one and back there a few. Thank you, Susie. You know, Scripture tells us that Jesus, you know, he set his mind toward Jerusalem. And then it tells us that he, he endured the cross, despising its shame. You know, he knew what he was going into. He knew what it was going to take. And yet, 
he didn't quit. He didn't give up. He didn't back out. He went to the cross. And it just blows my mind because he knew what he was going to. From the prophecies in the Old Testament, he knew what was going to happen. And not only that, but his was not the only crucifixion there was. He knew what a crucifixion was. He had seen them. Because the Romans had, they, they took it from the Greeks and the Romans perfected it as a, as a, a means of a torturous death. So he knew it. But you know what? He went on and did it because he loves you and you and you and you and you and me and every one of us that much. He said, Father, they owe a debt that there's no way they can pay. So I'm going to step in and I'm going to pay it for them. I'll take care of it. Their righteousness is non-existent. But mine is intact. And I'm going to give them mine. And I know this is the only way. If there was any other way, I'm all ears. Basically what he said in the garden. Very loose paraphrase. But no. You know, it's interesting when he said that, when he said in the garden, if there be any other way, we never hear the Father's answer. We don't know if he gave him an answer. The Father might have just been silent, and Jesus came to the realization no. I know there's no other way because that's the whole reason I came. Reading from the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul received this directly from the Lord. The Lord appeared to him. And he said, The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And then Paul says that in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He said, do this whenever you drink it. Do it in remembrance of me. And then Paul says we're to do this, take the bread and take the cup in, remember, um, um, in remembrance of him until the day he comes back. So looking forward to his return and looking back with gratitude on what he did on the cross. Let's take the cup together.
want to ask you to do something. Everyone who, while I was talking today, you were thinking of something, a promise that you're just holding on to, and you've been holding on to it for a while. Maybe it's for a loved one to come to know Jesus or whatever it is. There's a promise that you've been holding on to, and you've, like we all do at times, you get tired in the waiting. You start to wonder, is this doing any good? Is it ever going to happen? Is the promise ever going to be fulfilled? But there's whatever it is, there's a promise that you've been holding on to, and it seems like it's taking forever. I'd like you to stand right where you are. We're going to pray, and I would like everybody else to just stretch out your hands toward those that are standing. And just pray and ask God to strengthen and encourage. Father, we pray for those that have been holding on to a promise from you, something they know you've told them, and they've been holding on and holding on and holding on. And they've grown weary in the holding on. And the enemy has tried to discourage them and tell them it's not going to happen. It's never going to work out. It's never, never going to do this. Father, we pray that you would come in by the power of your Holy Spirit. And you would breathe life into those promises again. That you would bring encouragement. That you would bring faith. Lord, increase our ability to trust and to continue on. And if there's things you've told us to do in the meantime, then give us the, the ability to persevere and just keep doing those things while we look for the fulfillment of your promise. Come, Holy Spirit. Your promises are life. Your promises are true. And your word will never fail. It will accomplish what you set it out to accomplish. Maybe our timing isn't in line with yours. That's okay, Lord. We would rather have your timing than our own, truth be told. So, Lord, encourage us. Encourage these hearts. And strengthen them in their perseverance. Strengthen their resolve, their confidence, their boldness, their commitment. And keep their eyes focused on you. Father, we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Now I'd like everybody to stand. Hold your hands out to receive the benediction. There's power in the blessing of God. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus so that with one purpose and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you. Go out and have a great week. Keep doing what you know to do. You're dismissed.